Okay, so same, same, two, bit, same two bits of equipment. Uh, your outline, talk to, and your Bible. And then we, uh, we're all happily ready to go. What a magnificent lunch. Okay. No sleeping. <laughs> so setting the world in order. That's what God is doing. This is the age of Reformation. And uh, we're going to now look at uh, talk to God's order is our health. And again, we need to ask the Lord to be with us as we turn to his words. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time after the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into our world, the time of Reformation. And thank you, Father, that uh, despite the chaos and disorder we see all around us, we know that you have a plan and a purpose and it centres upon Jesus. And thank you, Father, that that plan and purpose has been made manifest, um, opened uh, up, uh, revealed in, in the message that we have believed. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll be helping us to uh, listen to your word and be ordered ourselves um, as the first step to ordering this world. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I came across a quote some years ago by a man called Hunter S. Thompson. I don't know whether anyone knows that man. Everyone's looking like they don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you may have heard a, a film or a book called Down and Out in Las Vegas. He wrote that book. He was a, what's called a gonzo journalist. Um, and I think gonzo journalist is what's, what you... Uh, the people who call gonzo journalists gonzo journalists are probably the more superior journalists. In other words, he is of the, the underbelly or the underclass of even the industry of journalism. I'll, I'll leave it up to you to say how far down that is on your social scale. <laughs> but Hunter S. Thompson is known for Down and Out in Las Vegas, played by Johnny Depp in the movie, if you're a Johnny Depp fan. But basically it, it, uh, it, it, it's a novel that chronicles an event in his own life or a, a, a period in his own life where he fell apart um, or he actually decided to fall apart. It was more deliberate than that. Uh, not, not understanding what the world was all about, feeling the chaos of the world. Uh, he descended further and further into alcohol, drug abuse and everything else down and out in Las Vegas was the result of that. Now, the quotation that um, he... Uh, that I came across that he referred to about this period in his own life goes like this. He said, I didn't know how to be a man and so I became a beast. I didn't know how to become a man and so I became a beast. When I read that it reminded me of Psalm 49 where you've got the same sort of expression, um, you know, that we, we become like the uh, the beasts that perish if we don't know how to be human beings. Now many people, I don't know how, whether many people uh, end up being so uh, distraught and whatever it was that was going on with Hunter S. Thompson, he, he died a couple of years ago, actually just two years ago I think, um, but many people are in his situation where they don't know how to live. Whether or not they become a beast or not, they don't know how to live. Life is pretty complex, you might hear people say. Or life is confusing, you might hear other people say. Or you might get people who don't 
really even think about how to live properly, they just get on with it because the question is too big. And I remember a friend of mine uh, years ago, I was talking to her about uh, whether she, what sort of meaning um, she thought life might have. The same old question, is there order or is there chaos? And she said, oh look, I don't even think about questions like that. If you do, you just go crazy. I just get on with life. So there might be a lot of people like that as well, where you don't think about it, you don't reflect upon it. Um, but there's a lot of confusion about how to live. Sometimes the question is thrown up at us uh, at various times in life. And, and so, uh, for example, sometimes when people have children and their children start growing up and start asking questions, then uh, you know, that, that forces parents to actually think about life a little bit, perhaps in ways that they never have before. And so the, the, the child asks a question and you know, they have to find out something. Well, what, what is life all about? Um, uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a man I know, uh, this is exactly his situation, never thought about life. I'm very good friends with the family, very good friends with the kids are growing up and his daughter asked, asked a question once about some sort of question about uh, what, why does God do something rather. This friend's not a, not a Christian at all. And he said, oh, well, you need to ring up Uncle Peter. <laughs> um, but you know, it was, a, it was a, a provocation for him to say, well, what is life all about? And uh, you know, opening up those sort of questions. I didn't, know how to become, I didn't know how to be a man, so I became a beast. The destructive path of human beings who do not know how to live properly uh, is awful. And human history is studded with examples of men who become beasts. Let's just not talk about history. Right now, our newspapers are telling us about men who do not know how to be men who have become beasts. This is a very serious thing. How do we become a man? How do we become a woman? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a human being? What is man? That, that question of Psalm 8 that um, so many outside the Bible have also asked. Now it's interesting, isn't it, that we understand, I guess, as life goes on, what it is to have a healthy body. Uh, you know, if you, if you hang around with men, I'm 56, just to confess my age. I, I know you all thought I was much older than that, but my, my youthful good looks, it's... <laughs> Um, 56, but you know you hang around with men, and, and it's interesting now the way we the way we talk in in my sort of age bracket is that men all have, always have this mythical time in the past uh, when we used to be fit, right? Uh, you know we have this conversation. I might get fit, but you never say I'm going to get fit. It's always I think I'll get fit again, right? <laughs> all my friends are like this, but I, I've known them all my life. I they've, they've never been fit, <laughs> but it's always we have this mythical, you know. I'm going to get fit again. We sort of know what it is to have a healthy body and as it declines, we know how it's not good when it's not healthy. It's a lot harder for people, it seems, to realise that their whole life needs good health as well. Their relationships, their morality, uh, the way they view the world, the way they think about life, all of this needs to be healthy. It can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. I didn't know what it was to be a man and so I became a beast the movement from not knowing through to being self-destructive uh, through to being a beast to himself and to others. And that story can be multiplied. Now, God's plan, 
promised before time began, with a view to the future eternal life, made clear in the preaching of Jesus Christ in the present time, that plan of God is about reordering the world to the way it should be, the way it was created to be at the beginning. And the message of Jesus Christ is pointing towards eternal life when this world will be ordered completely as it should be, perfectly as it should be. But in the meantime, as we hear that message of Jesus Christ and as it promotes faith in him, knowledge of God, knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, so this world is reordered, starting one person at a time. And the good thing we need to realise is that God's order for our life and for our relationships is our health. He knows us. He's our creator. And so as he reorders us, so he is bringing us to be healthy people in the full-blooded sense of that word. Okay? Healthy, we're, 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 he's bringing us into being the people that we were really created to be, true human beings. So, chapter 2. How do we get to this health? How do we reach this health, being healthy human beings who know what it is to be a man, who knows what it is to be a woman, who knows what it is to be human beings as God created us to be? How do we get there? Point one. That's not bad. I speak for about ten minutes and I get to point one. See? <laughs> it's a way of getting another point on the page. You, know, you talk a lot before you get to your first point. Okay, a simple task. There's a simple task. And look at chapter two. There's... If you look at the top and the tail of this chapter, you can see what the simple task that Paul gives Titus. Firstly, you, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men, and on he goes. And then down to the bottom, verse 15, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. Teach. Simple task. This is Titus's task, to teach. How is the world going to be reordered? Through teaching. Not through military muscle, not through political power, not through money. It's through teaching. Teaching. Because God's plan for this world is revealed in the preaching. Chapter 1, verse 2. So if that's where you're going to find the true power for change of human beings, then the simple task is teaching. That's where God is at work, in teaching. Now, of course, in chapter 2 of uh, this letter, Paul is talking to Titus, who has a special job as a go-between between the apostle and the congregation. So he has a special job, special role as a teacher. But he's then appointing elders, chapter 1, verse 5. And he's to teach the elders what to teach. And so they'll have a special role in the congregation. Elders in Christian congregations have continued throughout the ages since this time, down to our day. And elders, teachers in congregations have a special job. What is it? To teach. And they teach the things that Paul outlines to Titus. Does that mean chapter 2 has nothing to do with any of the rest of us if we don't hold a position of a, an elder? No, we are in a community where teaching, the preaching, that talks about Jesus Christ is our core business and that means all of us have a role to learn, 
and all of us have a role to teach in the realms that the Lord gives us. And so what I'm trying to get at is there's something for everybody in chapter 2. <laughs> okay. we need to look. What's the best kind of teacher? Someone who's learned well. So if, if you don't think you've got a position as a teacher anywhere, talk to me afterwards, I'll try and tell you where it is because you will have one somewhere. But if you don't think you have, the first task is to learn well. What, if you were sitting in Titus's congregation, what would you have to learn? Now let's have a look at um, what, what, what a simple task is teaching. The congregation is going to be a, a, a reordered community, reordered by the teaching of the preaching about Jesus Christ. We will be different from the world around us. Christianity um, will be always be a counter-cultural movement. That's what we ought to be. Uh, yes, we live in a world, we live in various societies around the world, every society around the world, but we're always going to be different from the world around us because we are reordered by the gospel of Christ whereas our world is still in chaos waiting to be reordered. Uh, and it's interesting when, when we see that the simple task is to teach. What is it that we are supposed to teach? Well, see chapter 2 verse 1. Teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now the word sound means healthy, sound in body and mind, old-fashioned English, right? And there's teaching that is healthy because it will bring health to human beings, to human groups, to human societies, to the world itself. That healthy teaching is entrusted to you and I and, um, uh, and, and our congregations. So there's the simple task. To be reordered by the message through, the, through teaching that message. Now just uh, uh, one before we get on to point two, don't get too excited. Go down to chapter 2 verse 11 and you'll see there's a, a wonderful nugget in the middle of this chapter about what God has done. Uh, so every, after, um, in verses 1 through to 8, sorry, 1 through to 10, he talks about all kinds of teaching to different kinds of people. We'll get back to that. But then he gives the reason why these things need to be taught. Notice verse 11 begins with the word for. For. This is the motivation, the reason, the ground for why we need to teach all kinds of people all kinds of things. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Because the grace of God has appeared, it's, the, the, it's dramatic language here, it, it says something like this, the grace of, for the grace of God has appeared, a saving remedy for all. See? The grace of God has appeared, a saving remedy for all. Healthy doctrine, because the grace, it brings us the grace of God, which is a saving remedy for all. This is the word that doctors would use for like a, a cure, like a tablet or a bit of medicine, you see. If you're sick, they'll give you a saving remedy, this word. And so the grace of God is the medicine for the world. Any wonder we need to teach it to all kinds of people. So, point two. You knew it would come eventually if you stuck around. <laughs> Ordering the disorderly. What Paul does here in this chapter is he, he tells Titus to teach different people different things. Now, the, this is interesting, isn't it? Because the, the message is exactly the same. The message about Jesus Christ is exactly the same. But depending on all, a, a number of different factors that you have uh, in, as a normal part of life, the way that you take on board this, this same message will look slightly different. 
And so he addresses different people and he says slightly different things because this is the way the message um, will be cashed out in your life. Now, notice, for example, the kind of things that he looks at uh, uh, um, in, in this chapter are things like our gender. So he talks to men. He talks to women. Uh, now, in, de- in our day and age, of course, we're politically correct and we know that we're just human beings. Well, the Bible doesn't see it that way. We are always gendered human beings, male or female. And if you're a male, you need to be godly. And if you're a female, you need to be godly. But the way your godliness is expressed will be slightly different if you're a male or a female. One of the other things he addresses here is older and younger. So age. Age is significant as well. And yes, if you're an older person, you need to be godly. And if you're a younger person, you need to be godly. But if you're an older person, your godliness will be shaped in a slightly different direction than if you're a younger person. And if you're a younger person, your godliness needs to be shaped in a slightly different direction than if you're an older person. And then there's something, I always struggle to work out how to describe this one, but I usually use the word station in life. That you have a situation in life that you find yourself in. So Paul talks to slaves in, in, at the, in, in this chapter. Well, I don't suppose uh, in the ancient world, you know, when you asked a little kid of three or four, what do you want to be when you grow up, I don't suppose they would have said, I want to be a slave. <laughs> See? This was something that was foisted upon you. And so there are things in life that are foisted upon you. Station in life. Situations in life. Circumstances in life. And depending upon your station in society or your circumstances in life, Yes, you need to be godly, but depending on your station, it will look slightly different from if you are in another station. Do you get the idea? So age, gender and station are addressed in this chapter. Um, And uh, Paul uh, asks Titus to teach people in in all of those sort of uh, categories how that they can hear the message of Jesus Christ and apply it and work it out in their life. Now, when you read these sort of instructions, I'm not going to get... Again, we could go into them in detail and I'm not today but I want to throw it over to you to think about your little bit of this this chapter uh, across the next weeks or months or maybe years, maybe lifetime and keep meditating upon it, what it means for you in your sort of category. A couple of tricks to listening listening to this. Uh, Here's the first, I've got three I think it is. First first trick. Uh, Then we'll go through each of the paragraphs. But the first trick is this. Uh, When you hear the positive instructions... Think about their opposite. Because remember, Paul is reordering the world. And so when he says you should be doing this, that means there's going to be something over here that you shouldn't be doing as well. This is the disorder, this is the chaos, and he's shaping it towards proper godliness. So you hear the positive, and that'll tell you the kind of thing that you shouldn't be as well. So there's one little trick. Uh, Second trick. Listen to the the category that belongs to you in particular. Uh, I remember it's so easy for us to listen to someone else's category, isn't it? So, you know, I'm an older man and therefore I'll listen very carefully to what it says about the younger men and tell them what to do. Uh, So, no, you've got to listen to your category to start with at least. And then you listen to the others as well because 
you know, we're a community that can help each other, but listen to your category in the first place. It's, it's so easy to, 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 to see where other people fall down. Um, I had, I had a, um, a, a, a couple that I knew were off to church once and they had this, this terrible row getting ready for church and in the car it continued to fester. But then, they, then they got to the church and, you know, I, this is a little bit of an aside, you know the, the car park miracle that happens at churches all around the world? You have, you have this massive uh, you know, fight in the car, you're festering and you get to the car park of the church and it all goes away because you walk in as if there's nothing happening. <laughs> well, this didn't happen. They didn't have the car park miracle that morning. And so they walked in late and the congregation was singing, singing Amazing Grace. You know that song? You remember it? And, the, and the, they both found themselves singing um, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch and at that point both of them turned to each other and said, like you. <laughs> now, take home message, they need to listen to the words about grace a bit more, but it's, it's, it's so easy to see where other people fall down and so it's so easy to try and tell the other um, what godliness looks like for them. Listen to your own category is the first place. And that's my second trick. The third trick is, when you listen to this instruction, it will be different from what you're going to hear in the world around you. It will be different. Why do we know that? Even before we read it? Because God is reordering a chaotic world. Where do we usually get our information from? A chaotic world. This will be different from the world around us. I'm, I'm, I, some years ago I got caught up with that little scene between Jesus and Peter on the road to Caesar, around Caesarea Philippi where Peter, you know, remember the story, uh, Peter doesn't really get what Jesus is talking about. He rebukes Jesus and then Jesus rebukes him. Remember that little scene? And then when Jesus rebukes Peter, he says to him this, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking like God. You are thinking like a human being. I feel sorry for Peter. <laughs> you know, what would be your immediate de- defence? Well, that's what I am. <laughs> you see? And this is the trouble, you see. Just to think like a human being means we're not thinking like God. Just to think like a human being, let's put it even worse, according to that little scene, means we're on the side of Satan, not on the side of God. How do we think like a human being? Our families teach us, our culture teaches us, our education system teaches us, our newspapers teach us. Everything around us is teaching us to think like a human being. Only God's word is going to teach us to think like God. Now if I can also blend in my Hunter Hunter S. Thompson (laughs) uh, quotation earlier, what the world's teaching us, if you're not thinking like God, the world's teaching us how, how to be a human being, it's really how to be a beast. It's not how to be a human being as God wants us to be. So my third little trick is, don't get surprised when you read a bit of the Bible and you say, I don't like that. Because <laughs> God is reordering you and you're chaotic and you need this. Okay. Now, um, there's a warning too, uh, of course, when Jesus said uh, that the, the, light has, uh, the light of the world... Uh, let me see, I'm going to, as I'm getting older, I'm having to forget my Bible quotation statched away in my head because they seem to be getting all confused. Chapter 3 of John, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light 
because their deeds were evil. People love darkness instead of light. So watch out um, if things great against you in the Bible. It's telling you something about you. God's word is always healthy. If you don't like it, yeah, that's okay. I hate medicine and I take it as well. But uh, God's word is always good for you. There's a couple of tricks. Now let's just race through this and have a quick meditation on some of these paragraphs. You're listening for your own one, of course. But notice how he starts, uh, he starts off with the men. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, healthy in faith, in love and endurance. Older men. Imagine our congregations, imagine our society, imagine our world, if we took this to heart and meditated upon this daily about what the Lord would have us be in this list. Temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, healthy in faith, in love and in endurance. Now to put it in a very uh, in an encouraging uh, sense, I hope, I remember being converted at the age of 17 uh, amongst a group in which there were a number of Christian men who had been Christians all their life and they were much older than me at 17. I remember the inspiration that was to know that these men had walked with Christ all these years and they were like they they are, temperate, self-controlled, worthy of respect, healthy in faith, in love and endurance. Uh, I have older men in my life that still pray for me every day. I don't see them every day. I don't see them every year, but I know they're praying for me and I I thank God for them. And I hope that uh, eventually when I depart from my youthful shores (laughs) and into that that older men category, I hope that uh, I have have that same sort of um, care for those younger people around me. Meditate upon it. Likewise, he says in verse 3, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good, in order, in order that they might urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now again, here you've got your older women and your younger women together, and they're having a role towards, uh, the older women are having a role towards the younger women. And again, older and younger women, meditate upon these things in this passage and, uh, and think about what the, your congregations would be like, your world would be like, uh, in order to, if, if, if this was the character of your life together. Now, unfortunately, in our chaotic world, some of these things for the women in particular have been... Uh, Muddied, if I can, if I can just use a, a mild word, um, to be subject to your husbands, for example, is something. In, in a couple of years ago in Sydney, this, this hit the Sydney Morning Herald when a new wedding service was put out by the Anglican Church, in which the women could say that they they were going to submit to their husband. Whoa, you know where did that come from? <laughs> uh, and it you know hit, it hit the press for ages. You see, well, see, submission is part of life. We submit to our God all the time. If we don't, that's called rebellion and sin. <laughs> uh, we submit to each other you know, when, when we're in a conversation. If I'm talking and you're talking at the same time, then we're not going to have a conversation. In order to relate to each other, we submit to one another. And there is a, there is a, mu- a mutual submission between husband and wife, men and women, because, we're all, because we need each other 
And so there's always going to be a, a, you know, a, a some kind of submission in, in those relationships. However, having said that, the Lord has graciously provided uh, husbands to take the lead in the home and men to take the lead in churches. And on the other side, women have been graciously, in, God graciously invites you and in fact graciously commands you to receive the ministry of your husband, the ministry of the men in the congregation uh, by submission. If you don't submit, you won't receive the grace of God that comes in that direction. Now, I know these relationships can sometimes go very badly wrong and there's, there's all kinds of ways that um, uh, relationships, relationships can be mucked up and Paul is not saying submit in such a way that you're, harming, you're, you're putting yourself into harm or that you're opening yourself up to abuse. That's a whole different story, if I can put it that way, and I know we've got to be aware of it. But what he is saying, the normal pattern of life between men and women, husbands and wives, is one of initiative on the man's side and submission on the, on the, the wife or the woman's side so that she might receive the grace of God that's channelled to her through her man. Okay? Now, have I trodden on anyone's toes? I hope not. <laughs> You've got to always try and be as careful as possible with this. But can, you know, think about this. Older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and their children. A wonderful thing. Think about the society you're building with just that instruction, you know, where family life is strengthened, society is strengthened. You know? So, again, meditate on that. Uh, then we move on. Similarly, young men. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they had nothing bad to say about us. Now Titus might have been a younger man when, when uh, Paul was writing to him. That is in his 40s <laughs> or thereabouts. Um, but here's, a, here's another. Now younger men, take heart, with this, take, take heart with some of these things. Think about these things. Um, showing integrity, seriousness, healthiness of speech. Notice that language coming through again. Healthy. Orderliness is healthiness in God's ways. And once again, uh, you know, in, a, in a, a culture that in many ways encourages men never to grow up and encourages boys to grow up slowly and, uh, you know, uh, the only difference is your size. Big boys have big toys. <laughs> You know, this is countercultural to say that there's a role for the man, even when he's a young man, to be serious. Not that they're never telling a joke, but, but realising that the world is like we're reading about in the papers at this moment. And men need to be men, good men, uh, so that the world can be a better place. And there's, t there's time and place for fun and friendship, etc., etc., but even the young men ought to have a seriousness about life that we're here to make a difference and we're here to do good things in this world. Okay, now, we could go on. Slaves, any slaves here? Maybe we can skip that paragraph for the sake of time. <laughs> no, we won't. We'll read it through. This is station. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. To try to, now, you know, slavery is not employment. It's a different thing. But there might be implications for, the way, for your workplace. Implications, but you know, it's nothing more. It's not the same as modern employment. But there might be things here. <coughs> Teach slaves to be subject to the masters and everything. That's not employment today. If it is, you're in the wrong employment. <laughs> okay. 
Um, but uh, having said that, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, useful stuff there, not to steal from them, definitely useful stuff there, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Certainly in your place of employment, your place of work, to make uh, the teaching of Christ our Saviour attractive through honesty, good work, these are things that we can transfer out of, these, out of this paragraph. Okay? So there's stuff there. Uh, now, we could spend all day, every day, meditating upon these things, and we probably should. Pick up on your paragraph, think about what it means, and live it out. Uh, and now, thirdly, my third point, the outward-looking focus. Notice this, the outward focus, there's always an outward focus to why we should be like, um, the, why, why Paul's saying that, people, that the congregation should be like this. Chapter 2, verse 1, you, know, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to healthy doctrine. So it's all about healthy doctrine that brings healthy lives and healthy relationships. Verse 5, um, why are the younger women, the, the older women, younger women, to do what they're doing? At the end of verse 5, uh, so that no one will malign the word of God. So we don't want people to speak evil about our message, so our lives need to be good lives. Of course, people always speak evil about Christians. Yeah, that's another issue, but insofar as it depends upon us, our lives should adorn the gospel that we, um, we, we say we believe. And that's what we find there in verse 8 at the end of the section for young men, um, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Uh, now, we're not putting our... We don't act in order to achieve a certain outcome with the people around us. We're not trying to manipulate them like that. But what it's saying is we have a message that says it's a healthy message and it brings health to the world. So we should be seen to be healthy people in the way we live, the way we relate to each other. Um, and this will adorn the gospel. Now, final point, anchored in the grace of God. Verse 11 to 14, wonderful, wonderful paragraph. And... Um, uh, looking at my time, I need to, uh, you know, already said far too many words about other things, so I have to cut down here. But anchored in the grace of God, all of these behaviours, why? Well, in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared a saving remedy for all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes to self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now can you see again God's timetable there? See, We wait for a blessed hope. And the reason we have that blessed hope is because of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us. And in the present time, this is transformative. We are changed as we wait for that blessed hope with Christ behind us and our redemption behind us and the blessed hope ahead of us. In the present time, we are redeemed. We are different people. We enter into a reordered way of life, a healthy way of life and we, we are reordered by that gospel of God's grace. The great, now, I love the word in verse 12, it says it, the grace of God teaches us 
or maybe even better, trains us. And the grace of God is pictured like a coach. Now I know, I don't know about you, but if, if, if you had sport in your background, uh, all the bad dreams you have at night often go back to your coach, right? That's me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, Christian didn't say it's me. I, I actually grew up at Mount Rowland and went to school at La Trobe High. And one of my coaches still haunts me from La Trobe High. He, he was young and fit and he used to say, OK, anything that I ask you to do, if you don't beat me doing it, you'll do it again. And unfortunately, he could beat us all the time. So round the oval ten times. He was around there, many, you know, faster than any of us. We had to do another ten times. And I can still remember all the griping and gringing and squaring that we were, you know, at him as we're going around. It was only about like 20 years later, I suddenly asked myself, why didn't we just say no? <laughs> but yeah, coaches can be bad. Look at this. What sort of coach is this? The grace of God has appeared. God's generosity has appeared. That's our coach. The grace of God is our coach. Now what does it look like when the grace of God gets at us and trains us and shapes us and reorders us and brings us into a healthy state of life and relationships and society and world? What a wonderful coach this is and what a wonderful, healthy uh, way of life Christ brings to us. Okay? So friends... Where are you at in God's plan to reorder the world? Look at those verses again. It teaches us the grace of God is your coach. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live a self-controlled, upright and godly life in the present age. Where do you need to be reordered by the grace of God? Where are you being reordered by the grace of God? It doesn't happen in an instant. There's always something to do every day. (laughs) Take hold of the grace of God and be reordered by that grace of God. And remember, friends, the reordering of the world starts with you. So as you're reordered by the grace of God, then what about your relationships, those around you? Reorder the relationships that are around you by the grace of God. And then as you reorder the relationships that are around you, your family, your friends, what about going out a bit further in the society you're in? Take the grace of God, be reordered, reordered by it yourself, shaped by it, and then see how you can shape society by the reordering of the grace of God. Get into the Bible Society program of helping others read their Bible. You know? Invite people to hear about Jesus. Just talk, Make it a natural part of your life because this is the remedy, the saving remedy for all people. There is no other, no other remedy. And we have this remedy sitting there waiting to work its powerful medicine upon our chaotic world. Let's get going with it. Hey? Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for this saving remedy that is the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on our behalf, the grace of God displayed to a world in great need. Help us, Father, to be reordered and trained by the grace of God, redeemed from a chaotic world. Help us to live as human beings, the human beings that you created us to be and help us to move out with this saving remedy to a world in great need. And We pray, Father, you'll be helping this world to, to be reordered um, as, as we go and we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.